everybody, and welcome to the fourth episode of the DeanCast podcast. This is Allie. This is Keely. And today we are going to be talking about everyone's favorite subject, queer baiting. So quick disclaimer before we kind of get into this. Um, we don't, we're not trying to be inflammatory here. We're just sharing our own opinions, our own thoughts. We're not speaking for anyone but ourselves. Um, your feelings are completely valid and you by no means are required to agree with us um, in any capacity. Uh, we are neither defending nor condemning the writers of Supernatural, just discussing a very complex and multifaceted issue from an analytical standpoint and within the context of the fandom we love. So we're really kind of trying to divorce our own personal emotions from this and just kind of stick at it strictly from like a writing or structural or like marketing point of view. I think that's a good summary because, I mean, it is a really emotional issue and people get really... They tend to can they can tend to be kind of emotional about it, and we're not trying to say that that's not something that should happen, but we're also not going to approach it from that perspective. Obviously, it's kind of impossible to divorce your emotions from it completely, but we're going to try. Both of us kind of have yeah, we're going to try, and both of us kind of have experience um, in school and in work divorcing emotion from a piece of fictional media, and um, just kind of judging it based on more technical qualities. Okay, so with that out of the way, the first thing we want to do is kind of debunk some myths about Supernatural in general, not necessarily queer baiting, but just kind of the discussion around queer baiting and the show Supernatural. So the first one is that writers have said that they don't write it that way, that it's not their intention. There's never really been a writer to say that. Um, the only person at the CW to disavow the validity of Dustiel Dean Cass as a ship is someone who worked for the network, not the show, um, the Chad Kennedy Twitter fiasco. Is his Twitter still deleted? Probably. I haven't checked on that. Well, he, um, he deleted his Twitter because it was yeah. very ugly. When did that happen? Like early season nine? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's been a while now couple years now that's the um first kind of myth second and what seems to be the most persistent and kind of the most misguided myth is jensen would never allow it as if he is gonna say just he has the power to put his foot down and say nope that's never gonna happen on this tv show (laughs) jensen is an actor it doesn't matter if he's the lead in a show that's been going on for 12 years now, he really doesn't have the power to do that. He has the power to change a line here or there, and um, I think that's why people seem to think he has the power to decide what plot point can be used and what can't. I think it's really important to keep in mind that it would be really bad for him professionally, and it would look bad for his professional image if he were going to throw a fit over a storyline. Yeah. And we, I mean, we know, like, Jensen has only, like, gone to talk to showrunners on, like, I think it was three occasions. One was um, the French mistake. Two was the 200th episode. And then three was the unfortunate incident at the end of season 10 when Charlie was killed off. So, I mean, if Jensen really had any power, Charlie would be alive is kind of an argument one could make. So, Although, to be fair, I think this argument comes from a certain part of the fandom that is anti-Dean Cass. And so I think they're more... I think they maybe don't realize the contradiction in what they're saying because yeah. I think that side of the fandom also tends to like Charlie less. 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, and then the next point, which is another one that is very persistent, probably more persistent than the Jensen one actually is, they don't play it that way. Which, first of all, we really don't have any idea. Like, we, we can't know unless they said it, which they can't, because they all sign NDAs, um, non-disclosure agreements. Um, so talking about plot points or anything like that could literally make them lose their jobs, which is why these things don't really get discussed. And there's also the aspect of that they potentially invite a lot of criticism or fighting, I guess, if if they're going to say one way or the other. Yeah, and um, I mean, like, the only time you'd really hear them talk about something like this is at cons, and from what I understand is they tend to be a very, like, bros crowd. I'm not quite sure. I actually went to a Supernatural con a few years back. I went to, like, one day of it, and it was just not my scene. Um, <laughs> but I've seen a lot of um, testimonials, I guess, saying that Typically, there's more Bros fans than there are Dean Cast fans, or at least the ones who like have like the gold passes and all that. And then, kind of another comment on they just don't play it that way is we kind of know that's not true um, because back in season nine, Jeremy Carver gave Misha a note during the production of nine oh six, Heaven Can't Wait, telling him to play Cass as a jilted lover. And that came so, that really came through in his performance. I don't think. I think everyone was surprised in the sense that it was an explicit, explicitly he was told to do it that way. But I don't think anyone was surprised in the sense that that was what he did. I mean, mm-hmm. he that was the performance he gave. So, so another rumor is um, the powers that be have said that Dean is straight. An important thing to note, kind of as a background note with how television gets made. Um, I'm not entirely sure how the writers' room functions um, on Supernatural, but just as a general. Well, um, the only person that can, the person that decides plot points and everything like that is the showrunner. So it doesn't necessarily matter what each individual writer says. The showrunner is God and anything they say goes. So basically you would only have to look at Kripke, Sarah Gamble, or Jeremy Carver as far as who could say Dean is straight or not. And no showrunner has ever said that. Um, and there's also a quote that's often pulled up by Eric Kripke, where he's talking about, like, how he likes to explore, like, heterosexual dudes and their relationships with each other, and, um, he's not talking about Supernatural, he's talking about his show Revolution that he, um, made after Supernatural. So, yeah, I see, I see that gif posted a lot when I hate read certain tags. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I hate read, but I don't hate read, don't. That's a lie. That's I... (laughs) <laughs> I would never hate read ever. We're that's, both serial hate readers. It's really bad for us. That's bad for you. I would never do it. Don't do it, guys. Don't do it. It's not worth it. I just love to do it because I hate myself. <laughs> yeah. Last point that I have written down, um, Keely, you might have more after kind of myths. It's done with malice. So I think there's this like really common idea that like writers or showwriters are kind of like fucking like steepling their hands a la like Mr. Burns and they're like how can we get the gay and the bisexual and the lesbian kids to watch our show it's like I know we'll make gay jokes and not only can we get them to watch their show how can we do it so that they're invested so that we can break their hearts yeah I kind of mentioned it earlier like I I do work in the entertainment 
side of things. Um, I don't really have too much experience with television, but on a podcast that everyone should listen to, um, Fansplaining, they just actually released an episode about two, three days ago from recording this that's called basically The Powers That Be, and it just is a very, it's like a two-hour overview of what writers do and, like, hierarchy in writers' room and, like, who decides what and all that. And um, Flourish, who is one of the women on the podcast, she used to be, like, a big-name fan in Harry Potter fandom back in the day, and she is, I believe currently she's a professor at MIT um, in their, like, media and culture school. And she was basically talking about how when she's done production work and she's been a producer on shows and whatever, um, that when showrunners see fans that like these things, they say, oh, well, we really like our fans and they like these things, so we want to show them more of it. And so that's kind of how showrunners would view, quote-unquote, queerbaiting from their point of view, which, again, like, I mean, that's not, like, a good thing, but it's also not done as, like, this kind of evil marketing tact to make sure people are watching their show because as far as a promotional tool what we kind of talk about as queer baiting isn't a good one um because everyone kind of has this understanding that it's not a good thing and the only kind of press you get out of that is people saying like the show needs to stop queer baiting or people getting really upset by queer baiting or what they perceive as queer baiting or how they define queer baiting so I don't think there's any marketing or producer or executive producer or writer in the world who would do that with malice. Yeah. I think that's doesn't to say. Which doesn't mean like it doesn't hurt people. Like, absolutely. I think it does. And it, and if it makes you angry, like that's totally fine. But I just, I don't think there's like this like evil conspiracy behind it. I think it's pretty kind of a simple issue on that part. And a lot of it just has to do with Hollywood lacks a lot of diversity, as everyone knows. I mean, it's mostly just white, straight men who are kind of out there and producing shows, writing shows, starring in shows. Um, And it is changing. It really is, I swear. (laughs) Um, I read a lot of scripts at work, and most scripts I read um, have LGBT characters and pass the Bechdel test as well. So there, there is change on the horizon. And you can see improvement just overall in general in, through TV, like from the 90s to now, kind of when quality TV started being a thing. Well, on the and, CW, there's that, I don't know what this show is or where the hell it came from, but it's got that, you know, that videos going around of that guy singing about how he's bisexual. Oh, yeah, yeah. My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen that show. I want to, but I kind of hate musicals, so we'll see. I saw don't that night. mail about hating musicals, please. Oh, I don't really like musicals either. Okay. Unpopular opinion time. I like Disney okay, movies, this whole that's podcast. about it. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the point, is it's not necessarily done with the idea of trapping LGBT fans into a show and kind of using them as a marketing tool, at least from the showrunner's point of view. So if you guys, like I said, the podcast fansplaining, um, the episode, The Powers That Be, that's a really kind of great quick overview of how a television show gets made and hierarchy and all that. But if you want a more in-depth look, there's another podcast you can listen to, um, The Children of Tendu, T-E-N-D-U is how you spell that last word. And it's two television writers and they bring guests on and they basically go from like how you start writing, like how to write a script, how to sell a script, how to get an agent, like how to move to LA. Like it's very, very in-depth. Um, I think it's about 12, 13 episodes, and it's a really, really great and very informative podcast. Um, I'm not a writer. I don't really have any interest in writing, but I found it to be very, very interesting as someone who works in the entertainment industry. 
I don't have any other myths. I think we pretty much covered it. Yeah, so those are kind of the five main myths that we see a lot. And again, we're not trying to say like these things don't necessarily have any truth behind it or that people don't have a right to feel this way. It's just, it's a more complex issue is basically what we're trying to say. And we're trying to say that a lot of the proof and kind of misinformation that's out there is um, something that can kind of easily be rationalized and looked at from a more full perspective, kind of seeing the whole picture as opposed to just looking at an out-of-context gif of Eric Kripke saying that so-and-so is heterosexual. Yeah, and I think there's definitely an important conversation to be had about representation, but this isn't the entire conversation, I think is what we're trying to get at. We want it to be a simple issue. I think we all do, but it's, it's unfortunately, it's just not. You really have to look kind of beyond representation and just the culture in which our media is being produced in. And kind of the more younger people are starting to get more involved, which is why you're getting kind of more shows that are really more inclusive and more diverse. And Netflix is really upping their game and doing a really great job of kind of throwing a wrench at network and cable television and trying to get them to kind of up the game. So all around, it's just, it's a very, very complicated issue on the side of um, show running and marketing and PR and that kind of thing. Now that we've kind of talked about those myths, I guess let's talk about queer rating itself um, and kind of why we have issues with the word and with the discourse surrounding it. I don't want to say issues. That makes it sound so negative. I just think maybe the criticism. I think I just think that maybe the conversation isn't as productive as it could be. Yeah. Yeah. I think a good amount of conversation kind of lacks a little bit of nuance. And I mean, again, me and Keely are both kind of coming from like, you know, we both go to university. We're both studying um, your literature, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then I'm media and screen studies, so both of us kind of have more time to dwell on something like this. We're kind of speaking from that perspective. Not to say that our perspective is better, it's just it's a different perspective than other people might have, is basically what I'm saying. I'm not trying to say either of us know more, just that we come from a different context than just seeing and reading stuff online about it. Right. I think a, a good, maybe a good example of this is maybe... Um, So like one school of literary thought is, you know, like a feminist school of thought and feminist literary criticism is relatively new, especially if we're looking at the institution of literature. And I think one one of my professors one time in, we were reading something from the 1700s. He was like, well, you can't, you can't really apply the, the standards of 1970s feminist literary criticism to something that is in such a different cultural context as the 1700s. And so I just, not to say that they're incompatible contexts when we're talking about television, I just, just sort of as an example to say, this is where we're kind of coming from, is like looking at a certain paradigm of thought and applying it in an analytical way. Yeah, and kind of continuing off that, the idea of looking at television as an artistic medium and kind of analyzing it, taking it seriously as an academic field is also extraordinarily new. You didn't really see much of that before the 90s. Television wasn't taken seriously. People just kind of saw it as mindless entertainment. Um, in Congress, there was um, a speech against it by one some senator, I can't remember his name, after the big quiz show scandals, which if you don't know about, you can look up. I'm not going to explain that here, where he called um, television the mindless wasteland. And um, so television as like an academic source and something that should be looked at critically is something that really didn't come about until the 90s. Um, Henry Jenkins, who is a media scholar, is kind of 
credited with making it more popular and looking at fandom in a positive light as opposed to just being like, oh, these weird teenagers are writing fan fiction. So even like, so I kind of feel like Tumblr is kind of like on the forefront of this also, which is like really great because I think it's um, really helpful for a lot of young people to kind of understand their world and process it. But it's new. It's very new. And it's got a long way to grow is basically what I'm saying. All right, so after that rant, I don't even remember what we were talking about before, but um, kind of to prepare for this, both of us um, read this master thesis by Emma Norden, and it's called From Queer Reading to Queer Baiting, The Battle Over Polysemic Text and the Power of Hermeneutics. You can find it on Google. It's a really interesting read. It's very accessible, I think, to everyone. The language is not very overcomplex and exceedingly academic, which I greatly appreciate because I just can't stand that. And she basically did her thesis on the idea of queerbaiting, not necessarily the definition, but just what it is. The practice of it, or the, the, or practice. the practice of discussing it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of kind of our research and ideas are coming from there, and we'll be happy to link you to it if you're interested in reading it. And it's free online, so you don't need like a library source to read it. The reason I bring that up is because um, we were both kind of curious to know where the word queerbaiting came from, because I feel like, I mean, I've been on Tumblr since like 2010, and my earliest memories of seeing that word are probably around 2012, kind of before I got into Supernatural, more around like Sherlock, but it wasn't really a concept that was taken very seriously. So we were both kind of wondering like where this word came from, and if there was kind of like a standard quote-unquote academic definition for the word, and there isn't, because there really has not been any academic work on it. But the word queerbaiting actually has history dating back to the 80s, um, and it was originally a term used courts, in American courts, when um, they were bringing up a witness's or someone's sexuality as a way to call into question their character. So not a good thing then, either. But that's kind of where the word came from, and just over time, it fell out of use, the term, in the court systems, and kind of got co-opted by um, viewers of television. So that's a very, very brief history on the word queer painting. Okay, so... Queerbaiting is defined, I feel like, differently in different fandoms, but this this definition I wrote down from that article that we've been referencing, um, I'm just going to read it verbatim. A strategy by which writers and networks attempt to gain the attention of queer viewers via hints, jokes, gestures, and symbolism suggesting a queer relationship between two characters, and then emphatically denying and laughing off the possibility. Um, and we talked a little bit about the myths of intention, but just so we have something to work off of, that's mm-hmm. that's sort of a broad, sweeping definition. Yeah, that's kind of our the definition we're working off. And that's the definition that I have kind of always understood it to be. Um, so the way I've kind of always personally defined queerbaiting, or the way I understood it when I was first introduced to the term back in 2012, 2013, was basically just like making jokes or hints or kind of wink-wink, nudge-nudge at the idea of a queer relationship. And then again, like denying it like flat out denial by showrunners specifically because as we talked about earlier the only person whose opinion really matters is the showrunner so that's kind of how i always understood queerbaiting to be and i think that's why where a lot of frustration comes from because a lot of people define it differently which kind of becomes a problem when you're trying to make this fandom-wide discourse surrounding the idea and trying to decide if something is doing x or something is doing y it just makes it really difficult to discuss something in depth and with nuance so that is kind of an issue with the fact that queerbaiting has this floating definition, as we'll call it. 
Yeah, and I think within Supernatural, this is kind of a weird... This It com- it becomes kind of branched, I think, into two categories because we've got, we've got like, Dean Cast SDL subtext or what we call subtext, but which has, I think, transformed into something more than subtext. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Bisexual Dean. Yeah. And then even kind of in the earlier um, seasons, you had, like, Wincest. Right. <laughs> which was more kind of following what I would define as the more classic definition of the word queer baiting where it's just kind of a wink wink nudge nudge like we see you fandom please like reach out to us like tell us how you define it or um how you see the word just so we can kind of get a conversation going try to actually have something constructive come out of this other than me and keely just kind of talking to ourselves for an hour and a half so we want this to be like a conversation we want this to kind of open up i hate the phrase safe space in this kind of context but a safe space for discussion (laughs) for people who agree with us who disagree with us who hate us for making this podcast, who love us for making this podcast. We want you guys to be involved, basically. Do you have anything to add to that? I'm thinking, and I don't think I have anything to add to that. That was a good summary. Um, okay, so another kind of thing that is brought up a lot in queerbaiting, or just fandom in general, is authorial intent, which is a very frustrating concept. I find it to be very frustrating. This is particularly frustrating for me just because three and a half, almost four years of literature training, the first thing they teach you is that authorial intent doesn't matter. And you're yeah. you're not allowed to use that in papers. I think that stands. I don't think anything that anyone involved with the show has to do with how you enjoy it or how you watch it. I know it's kind of been like a mantra and it gets made fun of a lot. Like the only thing that matters is what you see on your television. But that really is the case because I know there's been several times when a lot of people in fandom have got angry over promos only to see the episode and realize that what was in the promo that made people angry was grossly out of context or like out of context quotes or stuff like that. So I think authorial intent is something that needs to be disregarded. But at the same time, there's really no doubt in my mind that the authorial intent in this case is to write Dean and Cass as a romantic couple. That's why it's so frustrating to me because like my like training as a media and screen studies student kind of tells me to disavow that idea but at the same time it it's so difficult to kind of divorce that from the idea of seeing this on screen and having people just say oh it's a joke it's queer baiting when i personally feel like i can very clearly see a well-developed structured romance essentially i think for me when i'm watching the show it's not an issue of intention for me i um i can watch it and if i'm just in the show watching it I can sort of see it that way. It's just, it's conversations around it that I start to get frustrated about intention just because we have these little pieces of information about intention that we know now and mm-hmm. that you can't necessarily block out of your mind anymore. Yeah. And we're also kind of like contradicting ourselves at this point, which again, just makes the frustration because earlier we talked about how um, Misha was given the, the um, jilted lover instruction. Yeah, exactly. So that was the intent but does that intent really matter or is it relevant? And now we're just kind of getting into postmodern scholar arguments <laughs> that neither of us are going to solve on our fandom podcast. <laughs> so basically, again, like it's complicated and it's, it's very personal. I think, I think it really depends on the person who's watching the show and um, for them to decide if they feel what's important and what's not. How much so, they yeah. care, how much they care about intention. Yeah. How much they care about intention. And I mean, just because something isn't intended doesn't mean it's not going to have doesn't mean it's not true yeah or doesn't mean it's not true like i think one thing is we kind of like look back at 
Charlie, we mentioned her earlier. I'm sure, I'm positive that the intention was not to be like, oh, we're homophobic, we're going to kill off this lesbian. But, but that's, that's what comes across, that's and that's all that matters, and that's what happened. In that case, their intent really doesn't matter, because all that came across was, you know, what happened. I don't want to rehash the details too much, and I've actually, admittedly, have only seen the episode once, so I really don't remember too much. Well, I don't really have the stomach to watch it again, but... Yeah, um... no, I don't either. First of all, you've got the fact that you can pretty much expect any lesbian character in anything to die. Mm-hmm. Um, killed by the, the Stein family that were na- Nazi-affiliated, that's pretty gross. Those are the two main things that stuck out in my mind that are sort of like, did you did you not really think that through? Yeah, and I mean, um, well, I can't remember what con it was at, but like someone questioned Bob Singer about it. And he was like, oh, that's, like, where the show took us. And, like, I have no doubt in my mind, like, that, that's how he felt. Like, that's how he thought where it needed to go. But that doesn't mean I don't hate him for it. <laughs> yeah, I think he genuinely <laughs> believes that. But that just that just makes me think he's an idiot. <laughs> and then you kind of contrast his reaction where he kind of was just, like, brushed it off and didn't really care to engage the girl. And then you have Comic-Con. <laughs> That was such a shit show, but I will never regret it. <laughs> I know. I, we're, um, so what we're talking about is um, at Comic-Con, when someone asked basically the same question to Jeremy Carver, except in front of 6,000 people. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. And he was clearly not convinced by his own answer. He was stuttering and stumbling over his words. He didn't. He gave a non-answer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was very much like towing the party line. And don't get mad at actors for towing the party line, guys. Please don't. Like, they they have no control. They have to do that. It's their job. You can't, like, if you're working in retail, you can't tell a customer to, like, fuck off, no matter how rude they're being. Like, they can't tell you things like that. They can't, you know. Like, when Misha kind of talked about how Supernatural was misogynistic, and um, rumor has it that he kind of got, you know, he had a come to Jesus meeting, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, it's like rumored that um, basically the network came to him to kind of say like stop saying that. So, don't be upset if someone says something like that because chances are they really have to, or at least actors, showrunners don't get that pass really. I mean, they have to toe the party line also, but they're usually more. I think they're. I think it's safe to say they're usually more involved in the creation of that party line. Yes, yeah, exactly. They're the ones that kind of create the party line. And speaking of that party line, now that kind of Bob Singer is kind of... Demoted. Demoted. That's how I choose to believe it. On Twitter, someone said he stepped down, but I choose to believe he was demoted. It gives me peace in my mind to believe that he was demoted. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, we're bad people, but it's fine. (laughs) No, I'm not the bad person in this scenario. Bob Singer is still the bad person. (laughs) Completely agree. Can we talk next about sort of how the term queerbaiting is functioning, both in supernatural? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You you have a lot to say about that, so you go. <laughs> okay, so I think that queerbaiting as a term functions differently, wildly differently by fandom. So in supernatural, it's sort of a way to ex- almost almost a way to express our collectively our as a fandom hopes or cynicism about how we think Dean Cass or Destiel might play out. So I think when we're feeling more pessimistic, we talk more about queer baiting, but when we're feeling more optimistic, 
I think we get into things like the no homo intern where we believe we're more apt to believe or make up stories about how Robbie or Bobo or Jeremy Carver are doing their best <laughs> to put as much subtext into the show as possible. Um, and I think this is really different by fandom. So in some fandoms, it's really shit based. And to a certain degree, I think it's a little bit shit based in, Superna- in, in Supernatural just because that's where so much of the subtext comes from. Um, in the Shameless fandom, for instance, they have a canon gay couple. Mickey and Ian were together officially. They had like a weird relationship. I mean, undoubtedly sexual relationship for a few seasons. And then they were in a relationship for one season. And then they broke up at the end of last season. And I haven't seen it in the new season. But I know that Mickey is in prison now for attempted murder. Spoiler alert. Yes, I'm sorry. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. <laughs> A lot of the fandom talks about how they feel like they were queerbaited because the promotional material leading up to last season was really heavy on hashtag Galovich. And the the fact that they broke up is apparently tantamount to queerbaiting, even though they had a canon gay couple. And actually, even though it's not Ian and Mickey anymore, it's Ian and someone else. And so I think they're two very different functions and two very different fandoms. Mm-hmm. And I have and- I've read a few things about Korosami speculating on whether or not they were being queerbaited before the show ended, and that went canon the very last few seconds of the finale. And I'm not even going to say spoilers for that because everyone I think I, I think everyone knows. Yeah, and I also think that's an important point to know. Um, I personally, again, this is all personal. This is kind of how I understand queerbaiting and how I was introduced to it. I do not really think you can kind of know what it's going to be until the show's over you don't have or an until entire, you don't have an entire text yeah or until like jeremy carver calls me up and he's like yo like this this is not happening so until either of those two things happen i don't feel comfortable giving it that label just because i don't like to kind of call judgment on something i haven't seen I post about that a lot on my Tumblr, actually, um, when we'll have promos or out-of-context quotes or descriptions of an episode. Because the promos in the episode descriptions are always awful. They're so bad. Bad. Supernatural needs a new, like, PR department. And um, I know, like, a lot of people will kind of, they'll upset people sometimes, and I'm just like, nope, like, I'm not getting involved in this. Like, until I see the episode, I'm not going to expend energy on it. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to be sad until I can actually see the finished project. I think that also just has a lot to do with kind of just a fundamental difference in how individuals choose to view media. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, everyone can kind of watch how they want to watch. But I just personally, for me, I find an overly pessimistic attitude constantly to be very exhausting and draining as someone who like suffers from a mental illness. Like I use TV and Tumblr as like my happy place. So even when it's like a shitty misogynistic show, like I still don't like to be down on it all the time because it makes me feel worse in my actual life. And I don't find the kind of notion of what I call radical pessimism to be very helpful to anyone. And I think it kind of spreads more angst than it helps anyone. So again, like it's a fundamental difference in how people watch television. Like I was talking to Keely about this the other day. Um, When there's bad episodes of Supernatural, some people will get angry. Some people will get sad. Like I usually, I don't care. (laughs) Like I'll, look at the episode and I'll kind of deconstruct it structurally and I'll be like, okay, this is how I see this storyline ending. Did this episode 
do what it needed to do to get closer to that ending? And if the answer is yes, then I'm content enough. And that just kind of saves me personally a lot of angst and negative emotions. Not everyone follows that model or has to follow that model, but that's just how I view watching anything or reading a book or a movie or anything like that. So I think that's kind of why queerbaiting has so many different definitions and how it why it functions so differently in different fandoms. People watch things differently. People digest media differently. So I think that's what makes it so hard to kind of pin down what this concept really is. And I think you kind of have to take you kind of have to take it for what it is. Um, if you're going in with the expectation of something happening or something not happening or it's going to be good or it's going to be bad, that's I think that's going to color your experience too. Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm not going into Supernatural expecting to be like, wow, this is the paradigm of female empowerment. Like, no, I'm going to watch Supernatural to look at Dean and Cass make sex eyes at each other and. Talk about how cute Dean is. Like, that's what I watch Supernatural for. Like, on the worst episode, well, 1021, excluded from any conversation of what I mean by worst episode. Any, like, the worst, ep- the worst episode you can watch, the best thing that you can talk about still is that how much you love Dean, or, oh, Dean was so cute this episode, or, oh, Dean. How much you love Cass. <laughs> yeah. Or, Cass was so fluffy this episode, or, oh, he was so grumpy. I do that a lot. I do that too. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, again, like it's 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 just up to the kind of individual how you want to feel about something. Um, but that kind of leeches into how we're discussing text in a more analytical way, which makes it more difficult for everyone to agree or share the experience, basically. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. And there's also an issue kind of of um, shifting the goalpost. Um, I've seen people on Tumblr talk about this before, and it's basically, this goes back to what Keith was saying about what is and what isn't queerbaiting. Um, if you have a LGBT couple, can there still be queerbaiting? And that's just making it so no one wins, and you're everyone's kind of doing it to themselves in a way. Like, I'm not trying to blame people for, like, negative emotions surrounding this thing, because as we've talked about a million times already, like, it's a very personal and emotional thing. But there's something very if- different than a couple the fate of a couple not happening the way you want. And there's something very different from that than, you know, something like what happened in the 100 where a yet another lesbian character was killed off. Yeah. And that's like another show that's had a lot of discussion around queer baiting lately that also had a canon lesbian slash bisexual couple. So it just, it complicates the issue. Yeah. Like you said, it really complicates the issue when there's, I mean, there's definitely a difference there, but I think queerbaiting as a term it's just too nebulous to to be applied to that wide of a wide an array of contexts mm-hmm. and there's too many yeah, variables right. there's too many variables to be coherently grouped together i think part of the reason that everyone has really latched on to the term is that it's an attempt to put all of grievances and complaints and issues with quote-unquote problematic media into a certain box and to make it easier to talk about and it in the end it kind of just makes it more difficult because you have this floating definition and you have all these different people talking about it in all these different ways and you have people with different understandings and different theories and how to process and view media and it's trying to just make this very complicated issue with a long 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 history into a simple problem that could easily be solved which it really can't be unfortunately so i think like we've talked about 
doesn't allow for as much nuance as it should. I I, I just think queer baiting is a really politically expedient term, and it's just mm-hmm. too simple of an idea to be effective. Yeah, it's too convenient, <laughs> and I wish it was that easy. It would make my academic life so much easier, but it's not. It would be really easy if it would just be really easy to to call out showrunners for doing this. And again, like, if the show ends, if Supernatural ends, and we have some kind of vague ending to Dean and Cass's relationship, like, I don't, I don't know how I'll react. Like, I won't be happy. Because, as I kind of talked about earlier, like, I very, very much believe that they're intentionally written as a romantic couple. And you think about how much work and how much time has been invested in, at this point, even just from season eight, how much, just how much... T- of the screen time and the character development and emotional development has been invested in this relationship. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the main reasons where I, why I kind of hesitate to put the queer baiting label on Dean and Cass, because it's a relationship that's taken very seriously by the narrative. It's one that is the show's entire emotional arc, the B-plot, if you will. And it's not just like a kind of a wink and nudge or they hug or, you know, they make jokes I mean, there really haven't been, like, kind of any ha-ha-ha gay jokes since season six. I mean, we've had, like, Crowley or Meg been like, oh, he was your boyfriend first, but that's not really a joke. At least I don't view it as a joke, and they're also villains. Or, I mean, they're morally ambiguous, we'll say. Yeah, and I think if there were going to be jokes like that made, we would have heard something like that from Lucifer. But instead, what we have is this scene that where he's, he's taking a low blow mm-hmm. and saying, when he is imitating Cass to talk about him and he, his and Dean's relationship. And it's, it's very, it was a very emotional thing. It wasn't, it wasn't a one-off joke. That was a very serious plot point in that episode. Yeah. So I think that also has a lot to do with um, how I kind of personally define it. Now I'm just like contributing to the issue. because I'm like, well, my definition of this, but (laughs) if it has a, if it has a floating definition, we kind of have to treat it as a floating definition. It's something that's not taken seriously and kind of vehemently denied by those producing the show. The main example I always come back to in my mind is Sherlock. And yes, I have seen every episode, so <laughs> I'm aware of the show and all that. So you kind of have, you have the gay jokes or people mistaking them as couples. And there are like emotional undercurrents to their scene and like they do develop their relationship and it's an important part. But at the same time, you also have Stephen Moffat, who is the writer and half of the show ring team being like, oh, it's not gay. Like, I don't understand why everyone has to make it so weird and sexual and all that. And in the Supernatural camp, it's mum's the word. Like, the only time we hear from Jeremy Carver is at Comic-Con, and now he's probably scarred for life. (laughs) Yeah, the only time we hear from Jeremy Carver is at Comic-Con, but (laughs) what did he really say at this last Comic-Con? Some nonsense words. This is kind of hitting back on almost everything we've talked about in this episode. Is queer baiting a positive? Like, it's not a positive thing, but... When can it be a positive thing and when is it a negative thing? Because I've seen some people kind of go back and retroactively label Xena the warrior princess as something that was queer baiting. But in that show, they couldn't have them be an open lesbian couple because it was the 90s and you didn't do that then. And I mean, there were some shows that did it, yes, like Buffy and all them. But it's a different context. And trying to put this label on it and saying it's queer baiting, again, like just kind of lacks the nuance of argument because up until very, very recently, this idea of queer baiting is all you would get or all anyone would get. That's the only way you would kind of see an LGBT relationship. 
on television is by hinting at it in subtext, and that's not good enough anymore. I 100% believe that, but it's I, I have a problem with kind of retroactively going back and labeling these older shows with that and kind of taking these modern concepts and um, applying them to older pieces of media without... Thinking about the implications. Um, thinking about the implications and adjusting them for context, basically. Yeah, it just, it goes back to, again, like, how you personally kind of feel about it and what you would rather have in the end. Some people would rather have their just be, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge jokes and then just continue on shipping and not have it be something that was taken seriously and just denied by a showrunner. And some people would rather it be kind of what we have right now with Dean Cass, where it's very much a relationship and a romance. It's just, it's that and everything but but name. I mean, some people would prefer that or some people would prefer the jokes if we're saying something that doesn't go canon in the end. Um, and again, that's just, you kind of have to sit down and ask yourself, like, well, what would you want? And what would you rather have? Would you rather have this world in which there's no subtextual LGBT relationship or it's there and just doesn't become full text? That's just a very personal issue. And I think there's something to that you said earlier you know, subtextual relationships aren't really good enough anymore, which is true. But just going back to what you said about how, you know, like Xena, would you rather have that or nothing at that time? Mm. And I think now it's it's kind of seen as an all or nothing thing. I think a lot of people now kind of view the like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And this like, actually, you know, I, I don't know because I like can't off the top of my head think of other shows that kind of have the same build up as Dean and Cass do or taken as seriously by the narrative. Um, and I do, I do watch a lot of television. I don't actually watch a lot of fandom-focused television, but if you guys have other examples of that, please let me know. Because I really am not much of a shipper, and yet here I am with a podcast dedicated to Teen and Cat. <laughs> and so for me to kind of be like sitting here and talking about it and put this much emotional investment into it, I really have to see that seed of a relationship on my screen. I'm not as creative and imaginative as some of y'all, where you can just meet a character and be like, I ship them from this random character from season four, episode three. Again, that just speaks to my own personal experience. Yeah, for me to really be this invested, there has to be something very significant there. That's just my, per that's, you know, just a personal thing. But So I think we've kind of covered a lot of our points that we wanted to bring up. Yeah, like we said, this is a complex issue. And this is, I think this is kind of a kind of a compact discussion. You know, we just hit, yeah. we hit a lot of points that sort of skim the surface, I think. And we're sorry if it feels disjointed at some points, just because, like we said, like it's a complicated issue. And I have 1,500 words of notes on my computer right now. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep my thoughts straight, but it's a very complicated issue. And we tried to cover as many topics as we could. And we tried to kind of be respectful of everyone's views and our own opinions and keep this episode pretty neutral because this is a very hot topic. Ugh, hot topic. Hot topical. <laughs> hot, hot button issue. <laughs> So yeah, sorry, this episode's been kind of heavy, so we apologize for that, but um, um, send us messages, tell us what you think, um, if you agree with us, if you disagree with us, your experience with queer baiting, how you define it. Everything's open for discussion. Yeah, everything's open for discussion. Um, be respectful, and we'll be respectful of you. Like we said, we see this every single episode, we want to be a forum, a podcast for the fandom, by the fandom. So please, you know, we don't bite, we're very nice. So just send us your comments, questions, and um, if you guys send us comments and all that, we can 
you know, do like a little, when we talk, do our fit recs at the end of the episode, maybe respond to comments that we get about previous episodes. I think that would be a lot of fun. A lot of podcasts I listen to do that. Yeah, I think that's um, a good idea. Yeah. So if you guys have anything you want to say or anything, you, it, it doesn't even necessarily have to be completely related. Just anything you think we yeah, missed just, anything. Yeah. Shoot us an ask. We're Dean cast podcast on Tumblr. And then I am Starborn Dean on a uh, Tumblr. And I'm Starborn Cass. And um, so that's where you can contact us. And I guess with that, we should move on to our uh, fic recs. Yeah, sort of end the episode on a lighter note. Not even. Mine is so angsty. Oh, mine is too. (laughs) I just love angst. Yeah, we both love angst. Um, So my fic rec is There Are Many Things by Imogene by Night. She is one of my all-time favorite fic writers. So if you're listening to this, I love you. I don't know who you are, but... (laughs) Maybe you're listening. And this is a post-903 AU fic. And I remember I was <laughs> I was looking for a really fluffy fic because I was just in a mood for something fluffy. And I saw that this fic had a fluff tag on it. And I was like, oh, perfect. This is exactly what I want. It's not even a little bit fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe, like, the last, like, little bit or so. Um, but it's a pretty angsty fic. I mean, we've talked about our love for 906 and all that every single episode. And this is technically a 903 AU, but it takes off more after what would be 906. So yeah, that's my fic rec. Um, Mine is My Heart is Beating for Me by Enochian Things. And the summary is that after Rexford, Castiel tries to live a normal life and Dean tries to let him go, but nothing's ever that easy. And it's, it's canon divergent from 906, but when I was reading it, it was almost like a season seven AU just because Cass ends up going back to Daphne and then things sort of... Tr- um, progress from there and so it was in it was sort of set in season nine or like post nine six in season nine but it was also kind of like season seven it was interesting but it was really good and i really enjoyed it yeah so both of us kind of have a post 903 or 906 pick rick this week which shouldn't surprise any of you <laughs> early season nine dean cast i will say say it over and over early season nine dean cast is the best dude late season nine dean cast though season oh my god it's all about dean cast angst Season 10 was Dean Angst, and now we're in cast angst land. So hopefully season 12 will be back to Dean cast angst. I think, yeah, I think Dean cast light at the end of the tunnel is a little too much to ask for right now. Yeah. I will take all the Dean cast angst I can get. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So I guess we'll sign out. Supernatural comes back next week, doesn't it? Oh, does it? I think it does. Um, With Safe House? Yeah, which is a Robbie episode. Yes. Um, and Bobby's going to be back. As he always is every season. Um, true. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so we will probably be back, I guess, then in three weeks with kind of a typical like episode discussion podcast. Um, but we're also going to be doing a By Dean episode soon. Um, so you can expect that in the near future as well. And we also have plans for like special fun episodes. Um, I don't want to talk about them yet because it's a secret, but it's a it'll secret. be a lot of fun. It'll be so fun. Yeah. At the very least, it'll be really fun for us. So Yeah, it'll be a good time for us. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye.